Today we get to go back into Acts, so we're Acts chapter 17. We just wrapped up Philippians, beautiful book, an amazing book, one of my favorites, um, an absolute just beautiful book. And even, we're, we're even reminded of um, the Church of Philippi in this chapter, because while Paul is in, he doing ministry, the church, of, the church of Philippi sends him a gift while he's on the mission field. So like they just keep sending him gifts, they're supporting his mission, they're right there, they have his back. Um, for them, they're not just about talk, they back it up with actions. And oh man, do we need more of that today. Um, less of this, and more just backing it up with action, okay? Backing it up with action. Put your money where your mouth is, okay? That's my, that's my, my common thing that keeps reoccurring within my brain, right? Church of Philippi did that. And because they did that, Paul could continue on really unhindered uh, on this journey. So verse 1, chapter uh, 17 of the book of Acts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce around. New King James, New Living Translation. Um, I'm not sure what's up there. New Living Translation probably, if that's, and that's totally fine. Uh, I appreciate that translation as well. Verse 1, however, says this. Now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica. You have no idea how hard it was for me to say those two cities, okay? You have no clue. I just, I, I could just close the book and walk away now because I'm like, I won, I won. I, I pronounced two words. I don't even know if I got it right, but it seemed right to me. So um, oh, it's such a nightmare sometimes. You have, you have no clue. Um, it says they came to Thessalonica where, they were, uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay, so as Paul's practice, it says here, then Paul, verse 2, as his custom was, he went into them and for three Sabbaths, that's three weeks, essentially, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, that's Jesus, had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, or is the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of devout Greeks, uh, those are Greeks who had converted over to Judaism, okay? So they're at the synagogue, they're hanging out, but now they're converted over to Christianity, okay? So these, these devout Greeks, they're persuaded, that means they're, the, the Lord has done a work in their heart, okay? They, they're won over. And not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. All right, so... Let me pray, because we're going we're gonna to jump into this, and we're going to be digging through some stuff, but I, I just, I just want to go ahead and pray right now, and we'll get right into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that the work is done. Uh, Lord, the work is done, and you accomplished it all on the cross for us, and so we thank you so much for that, Lord. We thank you that, um, man, that you have us on this mission, and when we read through the, the, the book of Acts, Lord, we know that Lord, there is no end to the book of Acts. It's continuing on even today. And so we get to participate in, to a certain extent, some of these stories, Lord. And so we live in the, the region of this planet that you have us in today because this is, where you, this is where you put us. So I pray like Paul, like Silas, like Timothy, like Luke, Lord, that we would be on mission for you as well, communicating your beautiful gospel message to anyone and everyone who, whom you put in our path, Lord. So we thank you for the transformational work that you do in the lives of, of us and of other uh, individuals, Lord. And we just trust you, Lord, to, um, man, to, Lord, to use us however it is that you want to use us. So we thank you, Lord. And I thank you that there is, Lord, that there, there's, there's no qualifier for salvation. Lord, it's just surrendering to you. Um, it doesn't matter uh, ethnicity. It doesn't matter gender. None of that stuff matters, Lord. It's just a simple surrender to you. And whosoever will may come. So we thank you so much for that, Jesus, and that none are disqualified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the reason that I pray in that is because we just read through a portion of Scripture that said uh, Paul showed up to, Thessalon to Thessalonica, and he's preaching the Word of God. He's proclaiming the, the Bible, in, in one sense. He's using their Scriptures, the Old Testament, to convince them, to show them, to demonstrate to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And the result is some Jews get saved, lots of Greeks get saved, and a lot of ladies get saved. And you should not miss that. Okay, sometimes we read through the Bible and we read through that and it's like, cool, that's pretty cool. You know, I'm just going to keep moving, right? No, no, you miss the significance. Because in this culture, this is a big deal. This is huge. This is absolutely tremendous. And what I love, if, you, if you're not keeping track on the second missionary journey, 
The Lord is doing tremendous things. When you get the church of Philippi that is started by a women's prayer meeting down by the river, okay, and the second person to join that church, quote, so to speak, is a demon-possessed girl, and then you got a Philippian jailer. Like, do you see how the Lord's, he's, he's just going contrary to culture because that's what he does sometimes. He goes against the flow. He goes contrary to culture. And back in, the, in these days, um, man, the, the status of women was, was pretty low. It was pretty low. You're not on the same level as a guy, okay? If you were around back then, none of you were, but if you were around back then, you were not on the same level as a guy. You just weren't, because, simply because you're born with different chromosomes. That's, that disqualifies you? That doesn't make any sense. Well, see, that's ludicrous. And in God's economy, that doesn't make sense. So here comes Jesus, and in, um, just, just read through the Gospels in, in and of themselves. You'll, you'll encounter, you'll, you'll get to watch Jesus encounter individuals, and regardless of their socioeconomical status, or maybe it's a woman down by the well, you know, and she's had lots of husbands and all this good stuff, and she's currently living, and Jesus will spend time with her. Why? Because she matters. Because she's valuable. She's Samaritan. So? So what? See, Jesus spent time with her. Jesus spent time with lepers. He even touched them. No, no, you can't do that. That's, no, that's, you can't. And Jesus is like, well, I guess I'll just do whatever I want to do. Because I'm the king. And that's what he gets to do. And so what I love about the book of Acts is its continuation of what Jesus was doing through the Gospels. And Paul and his mission team, they're going and the Lord is just blowing open these doors where they're in Europe, where, I mean, and especially within that, you know, whether it's the Greek or the, or the Roman Empire, the, the women of, of, of Rome had a little bit more freedoms and rights than what the ladies in, within the Greek Empire would have had, okay? Um, but essentially, both are kind of, you're just property. You're just property. I mean, even in the Jewish culture, they didn't regard them as highly as they ought to have. Not that one gender should be elevated over another. We're, we're all the same. I mean, it's all the same. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level, okay? Billy Graham used to say that all the time. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level, okay? So here's Paul. He shows up. He goes to the synagogue because that's what he customarily did. He went to Philippi. There was no synagogue. But in, Thessalon in Thessalonica, there is a synagogue, meaning there are more than 10 Jewish men that live there, so they've established a synagogue. And Paul is explaining to them, as was his custom, he is, he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. W what I like about that is this is kind of like a, a, a Q&A time with the Apostle Paul. That's literally what it's talking about. He would teach the Bible, and then he'd open it up for questions. All right, who's got questions? You got questions? You got questions? That's dangerous um, in a church environment, right? Like, that can go off the rails really quickly, okay? Um, but he's, this is what he, what he was doing. He would explain to them from their scriptures, that's what it says, their scriptures, the Old Testament text, and then he would open it up for questions, and individuals would be able to interact with him with their questions. Now, just so you have a good understanding of, of the significance of the story as well, in the synagogue, you would have the men's side and the women's side, and then the Gentile side, okay? You talk about segregation. Like, this was happening in their churches. And it wasn't just like colors. No, it's like, okay, the Jews, all right, you guys get Jewish men. Okay, you get the, you get the good seats. Jewish women, okay, you got to sit over here. And Gentiles, well, we're glad you converted over to our religion, but you got to stay over there, right? Like, just everybody's spaced out. And here's Paul showing them from the scriptures that like, he's like, hey, just so you guys all know, um, this Messiah you've been waiting for, he already came. He showed up. You missed him. He's already gone. He came, did what he said he was going to do from the word, from the scriptures, and he rose from the grave. He's ascended up into the heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's going to come back. And in fact, we know that Paul spent a significant amount of time. He probably spent about three to four months in Thessalonica, okay? Um, the reason why we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians immediately following this is because we want to see uh, all that he taught them during those, that time period. And he taught them a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, deep theological things. And the return of Christ was one of the major topics that he talked about with this church. 
So he's there explaining to them, like, this Jesus, he's the one. And he was able to walk them through just from probably starting in Genesis all the way. The, the word there is, um, it's been used one other place, and that can be found in, in the Gospels. And it's the, the story where Jesus, post-resurrection, is walking with the disciples on the, the road to uh, Emmaus, right? And he, he, he revealed to them. He, he taught them from the scriptures. Um, starting with Moses. He, he walked them through the scriptures to show them that, like, look, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. And they're like, didn't our hearts burn when, when he was talking with us? And they're like, that's this, what Jesus did with those guys is what Paul is doing in the synagogue. It's the same exact word, same exact word. He's reasoning with them. He's showing them. He's walking them through the scriptures. That's the, that's the greatest method to do. Just walk through the Bible. That's all you got to do. Just walk through the word. Just take your time. Walk through the word. You can do topics and all that stuff. That's fine. There's a place for all that. But when it just comes down to it, the simplicity of just walking through the Bible is what, you, is what we all need. It's what we all need. This is what he was doing with these guys. He's walking them through the word. And so for three Sabbaths, it says he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer because that, that was the one, the question. Okay, they couldn't figure out how the Messiah, like, what do you mean he has to suffer? And in fact, there was a thought that there might have actually been two Messiahs. One would come and suffer, the other one would come and reign, like kick out the Romans. So they, they had this, there was this teaching, there was this thought that there's, there might be two Messiahs. One will be the suffering servant, the other one will be the reigning king. And so that's when Jesus was on the scene, even John the Baptist, there's a thought when he's locked up in prison and he's like, are you the one or do we look for another? Some scholars believe that John may have been referencing that idea of like, wait a minute, wait, are you the suffering Messiah or are you the, rule, the reigning king Messiah or did we miss it? And Jesus is like, well, no, I'm, I'm the one. There's only one. There's not two. There's only one and it's me and I'm going to suffer, but then I will reign. Okay? So Paul was able to show them from the scriptures, it all makes sense. It just all makes sense. So he's explaining, he's demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And I love that as well. The, the center of his message was Jesus, was Jesus. Well, how do you teach the Old Testament and you keep Jesus the center of it? Well, because he's in all of it. You just got to know how to, you just got to know how to look. That's all you got to do. And it doesn't take too much effort on your part because here's, here's the best um, advice I can give you when it comes to reading the Bible and studying the Bible. Before you even open it up, you say, okay, Holy Spirit, you're the teacher because that's what he told us. You're the teacher. Please teach me. And then open the word. Prepare my heart for what it is that you have to say. Prepare my mind for what it is that you have to say. You're the teacher. I'm your student. Please teach me. That's all you got to do. That's all you have to do. It's as simple as that. Now, you might open up the Word and read, you know, however many chapters or verses you want to, and you may walk away being, thinking like, what did I just read? That's okay. That happens. That happens. Because sometimes those seeds that get planted they don't germinate right away. They don't spring to life right away. But maybe a few weeks down the road, maybe a few months down the road, what you read, the Holy Spirit's like, okay, now, boom, and it comes alive. And you're like, oh, I get it. And you'll keep doing that for the rest of your life because you cannot exhaust the Bible. You just can't. It doesn't matter how smart any of us are. You'll never fully grasp all the concepts that are in the Bible. You just can't. And you should be okay with that. It, you sh we should all be, if we're not okay with that, we have a pride issue, okay? We have a pride issue. And we also have uh, an issue with how big God is. We don't really understand that, okay? This is the living word of God. I think most of, if not all of eternity, will spent doing Bible studies with Jesus. And he's like, okay, you remember when I said this? Here's what this meant. You're like, oh, oh, okay. I don't know if that's exactly how it's going to go, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that. If not for you, definitely for me, because I'm going to be like, hey, um, I don't, I thought I understood this, but can you bring some clarity? Can you tell me, what did that mean? How did you do that? What? There's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of that going on for me personally, just hanging out with Jesus 
in eternity, okay? I, I just, there's so much that I miss. There's so much that I miss. But here's Paul walking him through the Old Testament, showing him Jesus from the Old Testament. And it says some of them were persuaded. And it, it's fascinating that his, his primary audience, the one that he loves so much, he loves the Jews. If you don't believe it, read Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, where Paul said, listen, I'll trade in my salvation so that they are saved. We're not saying that about anybody. I don't know if you, I don't, I mean, that's a hard thing to say. But Paul was like, I'll, I'll give up my eternity so that they may be saved. That's a huge thing. That's tremendous love. That's tremendous love. I don't think I've ever said that about anybody. Because when we think about it, it's like, wait, you would give up going to heaven and spend eternity in hell just so that somebody else could go to heaven? Paul's like, yeah, I would do that. You're like, what? You're crazy. Yeah, he was. He was, but in the right way. That's how passionate he was for these people. He was willing to lay down his life for them. But this, this group that he was, and he was called to the Gentiles, but he was going to go to the synagogues. He was going to be faithful. He was going to preach the word to these, to these guys. And he did, and, and it says, and some of them were persuaded. Some of them. They're like, yeah, you know, some of them were like, oh, that makes sense. The other, however many of them there were, they were like, nah, I don't see it. I don't see it. And that's okay. And that's okay. What's impressive is all those Gentiles that were there. As they've grown up in Thessalonica, which is a, technically it's part of the Roman Empire, although it's been labeled as a free society, these guys could basically worship however they wanted to, um, just so long as they didn't cause any issues, no drama, no riots, okay? In Rome, if you had riots, they send in all the, they send in the army, and they squash those things immediately, okay? So we're going to see that. That actually plays out later in this chapter. But as far as like your day-to-day life, and your religious beliefs and all that stuff, we believe whatever you want to believe, right? Believe whatever you want to believe. So in this pagan culture, you're going to see that there's, there's images everywhere of all these deities, these false deities, these false gods. And so they grew up within this culture. And so you, here you have this multitude of devout Greeks, and I believe it's speaking primarily to, um, to, to men there. But they're growing up and they're... they're, they're being shown like, well, this God is over this, and then this God is over that, and this God is over that. So you got to make sure you're keeping them all happy. Because if you don't keep them happy, then things won't turn out well for you. So, well, how do you make them happy? Well, some of it's paying tribute. You know, you got to pay some funds to this, or you got to give this and do that. And it's just a bunch of work, 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 work. And you can understand, and probably you have come to that point in time within your life where it's just frustrating. And you're like, I- I'm done. I'm done because you tell me that this thing's real and I bow down at that thing and there's nothing there. There is no life there. There's, it doesn't deliver at all. It hasn't delivered anything. And then you tell me, well, no, no, no. Happiness and joy and peace can be found over here. Well, I bowed down at that altar and I didn't find it. It wasn't there either. So you understand the frustration that happens within the hearts of men when you're like, told, no, this is it. No, 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 it's this. Well, no, it's got to be this. Well, no, it's this. And then this little Jewish man, because that's when he was small in stature, shows up and he's like, no, it's Jesus. And the Lord opens their hearts and the light bulb comes on within their brains and they're, for the first time in their lives, they're like, that makes sense. That's true. That's true. Because like Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate is like, what is truth? That was like the the rationale of the day for all those who, who were within that, that region and that culture. Well, what is truth? Can you even know truth? And Paul's like, yes, you can. And his name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father, the Father but through him. See, when Paul shows up with that kind of a message, all these guys are like, wow, I'm in. Purpose. See, this God provides purpose. He doesn't provide confusion. He doesn't provide frustration. It's not about works. You're telling me that the work has already been done? Yeah, the work has already been done. I'm all in. You're telling me that this guy that I don't even know came and died on the cross for for my sins? Yeah, that's what he did. I'm in. I'm in. Well, that's what it took for me. 
That ultimately was the realization where I'm like, wait a minute, you died for me. I'm the bad one, and you are the good one. When does the good one ever die for the bad one? And for, the, for me as a 19-year-old kid, that's, that's, when it, that's when the Lord, man, the Lord really sank that hook in deep into my heart, and it just blew it right open. I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. That's what was happening for these guys. And it says, and not a few of the leading women, which other, you know, you could translate that in another way is a whole bunch of the ladies that were present were like, we're in. Why? Well, because Jesus offers significance. He offers significance. He says, it doesn't matter. And Paul would even say um, in his letter to, 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 Rome, to the, you know, the church there in the Roman region, Romans, um, it's, it doesn't matter, Jew, Greek, Gentile, man, woman, doesn't matter. All are one in Christ. All are one in Christ. So you can imagine that message, so to speak, resounding within the hearts of these ladies who are not even second-class citizens. They just didn't matter. They didn't matter. Now, if you're a Roman woman, you could own your own business, if you're a Jewish woman and you're, you know, your husband had died and all that stuff, then it, well, then you can own your own business too. And, but you can't really go out in public. You know, and if you go out in public, then you've got to be heavily covered up and all that stuff and, and, and everything. There's just, why? Why? That doesn't make sense. When men can just move about freely. Paul shows up and says, no, Jesus says that you matter. The gospel says that you matter. The gospel says that your life counts. Your voice counts. It matters. There's significance to who you are. You are who you are because God has made you that way, formed and fashioned within your mother's womb. It was God who was putting each and every one of us together, and he makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes. So for these ladies, born as ladies, their life matters. Even if culture says it doesn't, their life matters. That's what the gospel says. That's what the gospel says. Following Jesus. Jesus is the one who breaks down all the barriers. He breaks down all the divisions. The gospel does that. There's no better message than that to tear down any walls that we as humans have set up. And we're really good at that. We're really good at that. Just read through history. Well, you're not the same gender as me. You don't, you're not on the same level. You don't matter. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. You're not the same skin color as me? Oh, no, you don't matter. No, that's a lie. And in fact, it's not just, that's sin. It's just sin. I don't care how, in what form of discrimination, it's just sin. If you're a Christian, you're made, it doesn't, if you're a human being, you're made in the image of God, and we as Christians should treat everybody like they matter. Like they matter. Paul shows up and he's like, yeah, hey, Jesus came to die for all of us. And all of us can get saved. And all of us can be new creations, given a new heart. And you're no longer whatever wants to find you. No, you are a Christian. There's a new, it's a new race in one sense. It's like, no, this is a new class of people. This is Christians. And it doesn't make us better than them. That's not the point of it. The point of it is, no, we're, we have been saved by the grace of God. And we're on a mission to communicate to anybody, to all, anybody else who's not on this side the fact that Jesus loves them and that he died for them, to do what Paul is doing. So that's what he did there. And a lot of these, these Greek, um, a lot of these women, and these could be also Jewish women as well. I don't want to say they're all Greek or they're all Roman. This could be Jewish women as well. Point is, is that they're, they're women. And the other little side point I would like to point out before we move on to um, the persecution, imagine being... A lady, this won't be too hard for you women, okay? Okay, this, and I know, boy, just hold on, I'm going somewhere with that. Um, you're like, uh, uh, every day, that's, what, that's who I am. Um, and you're walking around whenever you do get to walk around, and all you see is these statues of the perfect woman everywhere, images, idols. You get Aphrodite, and can, you can understand the frustration of like, for, for a lot of women, it's like, this is man's creation, 
right? We, we have the same problem today. You don't believe me. Go to the supermarket. Look at all the magazines and stuff because I don't care what they say. They're still d- communicating the same message, right? There's a certain standard of woman. And if you don't measure up to this, well, then what? Am I not good enough? That's what culture is saying. Even though if they say they're not saying that, that is exactly what they're saying. These women, they had the same problem as they walk around. There's a, there's a statue of Aphrodite, and they're like, well, I can't measure up to that. That was being communicated, that was being spread around, I mean, everywhere. And again, here is this great gospel message that says, listen, you don't have to measure up. That's, you don't have to. It's not about that. Give your life to Jesus. Find significance in him. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about it. Man, this is, the gospel message was able to go through this region, and we don't have specific stories or anything like that, but can you imagine the healing that was happening within marriages between husbands and wives where a wife just felt like, well, I'm just like no different than a, somebody who's been hired to serve. I like, I'll, my job is to cook and clean and do those types of things, and it don't really matter. And even in the Roman society, um, they were okay with multiple, like, you can have your wife, the one who bears your children, then you can have your side piece, that's the one who, you know, your little girlfriend over here, and then you can have your other one who's like, kind of like your best friend. You can have basically three relationships with, three different distinct relationships with women. It's okay for guys to do that. Can you imagine when the gospel shows up and it's like, no, 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 no. You stay committed to her because she matters. No, you stay committed to him. He's a new creation. She's a new creation in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I, th- what they're, confu- what they're con- um, accused of is turning this world upside down. Look, it says it right here. It goes on, verse, uh, verse 5 there. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, jealousy, that's, a, that's just a bad thing. Jealousy wrecks everything, okay? It ruins everything. They become envious. They're, they're jealous. Uh, of, so they took some evil men from the marketplace, um, <laughs> these evil men. Uh, basically, like the word there is, uh, the guys who just sit around in the marketplace doing nothing all day, they rounded up all those guys. Like they don't work. They got no jobs. They rounded up all those guys, the rabble, okay? They rounded up all those guys and hired them to start a riot. <gasps> what? That's, hap- oh yeah, it happens today. Yeah, hey, oh yeah, yeah, we'll pay you money to go start riots. Yeah, get a job, right? Like, just get a job. If you stand for something, then stand for something. But I would also say, put your money where your mouth is. Like, back it up. Like, okay, you want to cause trouble, cause trouble, but it's ridiculous. But isn't it funny that there's nothing new under the sun? This is what, these were guys that just hung out at the marketplace. So they weren't doing anything. They're just troublemakers. So these jealous, envious men, they found, a, you know, they found these guys. They gathered a mob. They set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out uh, to the people. So they're looking for Paul and Silas, and they, they hear that they're staying at Jason's house. Now, there's a, there's a thought there that this Jason is actually the cousin of Paul, and he might be the guy who Paul referenced towards the end of in, uh, the book of Romans, okay? When he's throwing out his, his shout-outs, his, his thank-yous. Jason is mentioned, so there's, there's a thought that this is the same guy. But they believe that Paul and Silas were staying there and that Jason was related to Paul. So they couldn't find Paul and Silas, so they just drag out Jason and some of the brethren uh, to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has uh, harbored them. Now, again, some of these Jews are also, um, well, we'll see them. They're, they're a traveling band, okay? They're a traveling band. They're going to be here. They're going to keep moving on. Uh, but it says here, they, they, they pull them all out. They drag them in front of the city leaders, and they're like, look, these guys who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So word is getting out throughout the whole that whole region that these Christians are causing, causing a ruckus. Jason has harbored them, and uh, these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Why? Because, well, they don't want Rome coming down on them. Because, again, remember, 
Rome is fine with your city. You believe whatever you want to believe, but the moment you start causing problems, the moment the rioting happens, the army comes in, and they don't want that. And especially the, the guy who's ruling this, this city and this region, he doesn't want to lose his job, so he's going to squash this. So they, they get Jason. Um, it says when they've taken security from Jason and the rest, and then they let them go. So basically, they're like, look, you're going to pay us some money um, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And then we're going to let you go free. And that's what they do. They, they arrest him, make him pay money to them, the city, and then they set him free. And they say, now don't let it happen again. It's crazy. They've lost their minds. They've lost their minds. And, and again, the, the accusation is, and these are the Jews who are bringing this accusation. And it, again, it sounds very familiar to you if you've read the Bible. These guys are going against Caesar. You don't care about Caesar, Jews. You don't care about Caesar. Oh, but it'll get, a, it'll get us what we want. See, these Christians, they're bad. They're going against Caesar. They're saying there's another king, and his name is Jesus. And they were right about that. What's funny is they accuse these guys of turning the world upside down when, in fact, they were turning the world right side up. The world has turned the world upside down. Christianity and Christians, the church, should be turning the world right side up. Calvary Galveston, within our little beautiful island here and all our surrounding communities, we should be having an impact on our city turning it right side up. That's our goal, to turn it right side up, to see hearts changed, to see this transformation happen in the lives of individuals, to see transformation happen in communities within our city, to see barriers and walls broken down because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to turn our city right side up for the kingdom of God. And that's what they were accused of doing. And so they got to get out of town now. They got to they move on. We got to move on to the next one. And the, the next one, it's going to be a little country church, okay? Uh, Berea. It's not a big city. It's, off, it's about 30 miles. Uh, keep going south. It's, uh, it's not that too far down from Thessalonica, uh, but it's off the beaten pass. It's a little country church um, that has complete and absolute uh, significance in application for us today. Um, there's this uh, story. I don't know if you guys... Uh, Grew up in Sunday school at all. I kind of had some experience in Sunday school. I don't remember much of it at all. Um, I was mostly, I think, probably drugged there. Uh, unless they had free food or basketball. Those were my two things. Like, if I could eat for free and play basketball, well, then I'm in. Um, I didn't care what it was. It could be church or whatever. I didn't, it didn't matter to me. But I know for a while there, my mom was dragging me to church, and I found this, um, this little story that I think kind of illustrates this next this next portion for us uh, pretty accurately, okay? Uh, there's this uh, Sunday school teacher, and she decided to have her class memorize Psalm 23. Classic Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, so she's preparing them to read this. She gave them a month to learn this entire chapter. It's not that many verses. Totally doable uh, for kids and for adults. Um, and this little kid, uh, Rick is his name. He was super excited about the task. And as the month is going on, he's doing his best to memorize it. And he's having issues memorizing it because sometimes some of us have issues memorizing things. So he's, he's, he's stressing about this. And the day comes, and they're going to recite Psalm 23 to the church congregation. They're going to stand before him, and each one is going to recite it, right? So you can imagine the pressure of that, okay? Just standing in front of a group of people and talking is, is nerve-wracking enough, and especially for a little kid. And so... As he's just so nervous, when it was his turn, he steps up to the microphone and he says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I need to know. And then he walked off the stage, right? And you're like, yes and no. Yes, that is all you need to know, but no, you, you need to know more. You need to know more. We need to know more. Yes, it is enough for us to know that the Lord is our shepherd. Yes, it is enough for us to know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, it is enough for us to know that, but you should know more. Don't stop there. Don't stop there. 
Oftentimes, that's our problem, and especially within the modern church, it becomes so easy because, I, I mean, I can pull out my phone, no, it's right there, and I, I subscribe to numerous podcasts of all preachers and pastors, and I listen to sermons, numerous sermons all throughout the week, all different people. That's what I do. It's very easy for us to do that, and that becomes like our default mode, Right? Default mode for us, and, and especially in a highly technological age, we can, we can take that in, and it's good. You, you hear, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. We know that, but there's also the side of it that's like, no, you and I have to get into the scriptures for ourselves. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a beautiful verse, but there's a lot more beauty to that whole passage of scripture that we miss out on if we don't go a little deeper. That's the church of Berean. That's the Berean church. So these guys, Paul and Silas, it says there, verse 10, they, the brethren immediately sent them out by, by night to Berea. It says when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, because that's customary. These were, the, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Uh, New Living Translation says the, the people of Berea were more, were more open-minded than the people of Thessalonica. So the people of Thessalonica were a little more closed off, okay? Berea was like, okay, we'll hear what you have to say. But not just that. They were gonna test Paul in what he said, right? They're gonna find out that what he's saying is true. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, because of their due diligence in getting into the word on their own, many of them believed. Many of them believed. Not also, or also not a few of the Greeks, meaning a lot of the Greeks as well, and prominent women as well as men. See, it's a, the beauty. That's a, it's an amazing thing that's happening within, in Europe. I mean, this, this, this thing, the gospel is just... It really is messing everything up in the best way possible. But here are the Bereans, okay? So we got Paul. He shows up, and he's going to teach them, just like he did in Thessalonica. And he found, that, he found out that this audience was, um, there was just something about these guys. And this is probably a breath of fresh air for the Apostle Paul. Because he's been, he's, you know, what happens in Thessalonica is, is around like the fifth time he's been chased out of a city. And so he shows up to this congregation. The congregation, they brought their own, they brought their Bibles, Paul's like, what? You guys brought your Bibles to church? That's crazy. Who does that anymore? Right? But they did. And they're like, okay, we're ready. We're ready. No, you came ready to receive the word of God? Well, that's interesting. We, we need to prepare ourselves. Here's the valuable lesson. Whether it's Sunday church, Wednesday, Thursday night church, online church, online church, talking to you guys in that camera. Um, we need to prepare ourselves for the word. Because if you're anything like me, you just show up and you're like, all right, give it to me. I'm ready. But I'm not like really ready because current events are still running through my brain and what I got to do next is still running through my brain and my mind and, and oh, oh my, my busy week and what do I got to do tomorrow? I got to do this tomorrow and then Tuesday, I got this and then Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday and then I come back and if you're anything like me, that's what happens and it's just hard. There's value in preparing your heart and your mind before you even walk in the doors. Saying, okay, Lord, you have me. Here's my heart. Here's my mind. I'm ready for you. I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to receive. And there's, there's, there's ways we can do this. I will give you four little points. Um, four little points of how to, how to prepare yourself to receive the word of God. Number one is this. Show up. Hey, you did that. You're doing good. You're here. You're online. Sweet. You got to be here. You got to be here. And that doesn't mean physically, but you, and, and whether it's here or some other church, it doesn't matter, but you have to be there. Physically, mentally, you, you need to be there, present. Be present. You can't just show up and be distracted and you got all, I, I understand life's crazy. I get it. But we really need to get better at sorting those things out. And not letting the events and the, the, all the stuff of life consume every corner of our mind. We need to get really better at just quieting our hearts and our minds and being present. Be present. 
So show up. That's the first thing. So that could be online, that could be in person, that could be listening to the radio. We're Calvary Galveston, we're, we're even on the radio. I can't even believe it, we're on the radio. I don't even know where we're on the radio, but some, across the nation, we are on the radio. Still blows my mind and terrifies me. All in the same thing, uh, absolutely terrifies me. Uh, the other thing is, is podcasts. If you're like me, I listen to podcasts. There's value into preparing your heart and mind before you listen to that preacher, that message on a podcast, okay? Second thing. Uh, so you show up, you, you need to, second thing is to ready your mind, prepare your mind. Say a little prayer, maybe in your car when you show up to whatever church, you're sitting there in your car or maybe before you turn on the radio or whatever, just say, all right, Lord, man, Lord, I got a lot of stuff going on. Just be real, be real with him. He knows it already. He's not surprised, okay? So just, Lord, I got a lot of things going on right now. Um, these bills are coming up. And I just got my check, and the math isn't adding up, Lord, and so that is consuming my heart and my mind. Or this is going on within my family, or I got to go, I'm about to walk into my job, and I already know I'm walking into these stories. Just stop right there for a minute and say, hey, Lord, can you please just quiet my heart and my mind? Prepare my heart and my mind, because Christianity involves both, your heart and your brain. Please know that. If anybody tells you that it's like Christianity is like a crutch or doesn't take any brains or anything, that's a lie. As Christians, we should be utilizing this uh, beautiful little thing that God has placed inside our skulls. But we, we need him to prepare that. We need him to quiet all the stuff and say, okay, Lord, I'm not ignoring these things. I'm not pretending these things don't exist. In fact, I'm just going to give them to you because I just want to hear what you have to say to me today. Third thing, search the scriptures. You search the scriptures. You test out, uh, test what the preacher, teacher is saying. Don't test the teacher, okay, because that's just not, I mean, that, that he's, whoever he is, probably, it may be me, he's got enough on his plate, okay? Don't test him. No, you search out the scriptures your own, on your own time. If I may say something, preaching through something, and you're like, well, I don't know about that. Well, go away study it for yourself, search it. And then if you find something that's contrary to what I've said, then come back to me and say, hey, you said this, but I, I've been doing some homework and research and I see it like this. And we can have a rational talk. And I won't yell at you and kick you out of the building because I don't do that, right? And be like, oh, okay, that's fascinating. I might have been wrong. <gasps> what? Yeah, I'm wrong sometimes. I mean, I study my brains out to, so I'm not, so I don't look like an idiot up here. But, uh, but you know, sometimes things happen. But you, it's your job to... Study the scriptures for yourself. It, this makes sense in all sorts of levels. And we can, naturalistically, we can talk about, you know, and it always is said, of eating. If this was the, play, the only place where food was dished out to you, are you telling me you're not eating Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all that you're surviving on is what you get here? That's not enough. That's not good enough. That doesn't make sense. No, so what you and I myself included, we need to be studying the word for ourselves. We need to be searching the scriptures for ourselves. You don't need a college degree. You do not need a college degree. I'm going to tell you that right now. I have one. It's a small one. It's an associates in theology. I don't even know what it means. I don't even know where it's at, but I got one is what they told me because I went to two years of Bible college. I didn't go for a degree. I, didn't need, I don't need a degree. Degrees are they're awesome. They're valuable. And I appreciate guys who have them because I know guys who've gone on to get their doctorate and all that stuff. And it's, to, and it's amazing to see their dedication to that and how the Lord has used that to cause them to grow. But I can tell you right now, he can use fishermen to turn the world upside down. It doesn't matter. And he can use the Apostle Paul who had a degree to turn the world upside down. He can use both. The point is not your level of education, it's your level of commitment to him and to his word. That's what matters. So dig into the Bible, enjoy it. It is the coolest book out there. It is the most amazing book that's out there. Get into it, search it out for yourself, study it for yourself. You, you won't be disappointed. If you need help with that. We have like, every so often we try to order some, um, their New Living Bibles, their um, study Bibles. 
Okay, they're New Believers Bibles, right? Greg Laurie put these things out. And they have these, these little side points and all this good stuff. Get one of those and just start reading through some of that stuff. And it'll, it'll help you to understand the scriptures a little more clearly. Do what you gotta do. But search the scriptures. Test whatever the teacher is. Because we, I mean, again, we just have this, this propensity to, to really just like, I can turn on my phone and I can set it down. And I can be like, okay, give it to me, right? And then we're like, oh, you know, I, well, I don't like this guy. This guy doesn't hardly ever tell any stories. That's me. Um, but I like this guy because this guy's got a ton of funny stories. Yeah, okay, but, but what is he saying about the Bible? Both guys. Maybe this guy's talking nothing about the Bible, but, you know, but you're also not gaining anything from that. What are they saying? What's the word saying? How is that driving you into the scriptures to study it for yourselves? Okay? Can't shift into neutral. Not these days. And again, I'll say it again. There, there's just no room for laziness within the church and within Christianity. There's no room for it. Okay? We have to be diligent. Study the word. Study the word. Uh, the, the fourth thing that I would say to that is be like these Bereans and study it daily. Make it a habit. Make it a habit to get into the word daily. Daily. To what extent? I don't know. I, I don't know. What do you want to do? What are you looking to accomplish? I want to read the entire New Testament in one day. You're crazy. Like, don't do that. Why would you? I mean, it's cool. That's ambitious. But why? What are you gaining from that? Well, I just want to read one verse a day. Well, can you do a little more? Like, one verse? Like, come on. You could, maybe a paragraph. You know, keep it the context of the story. Read a chapter a day. That's a good that's always a good rule. Read like a chapter a day. Read a chapter from Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. It doesn't matter. Just get into the Word of God daily, okay? So we see that the same kind of group of people get saved, so to speak, from the Apostle Paul showing this. But I do like that verse 12 there. Therefore, because they were willing to uh, search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were true or whether they were so, therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, but prominent women as well as the men. Uh, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, so see, these guys are, they're like, they're in Thessalonica, and they're like, oh, he went to Berea. Let's get to Berea. What, for what reason? Let's go set it on fire. Let's go set it on fire. For why? What reason? Because Jesus. Because Jesus. See, it's not really about Paul. It's not about Silas. You know, they're Jewish men as well. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with Jesus. These riots in Acts chapter 17 have everything to do with Jesus. And even Jesus said himself, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. Why? Because of me. Because of your allegiance to me. You will have trouble. And there's, they're finding that to be very true. So they learn that the word of God is being preached so they stir up the crowd. They came there also, stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. So those uh, who, con who conducted Paul uh, brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. All right, so here's basically what's happening there. So they escort Paul all the way uh, they're going to escort him all the way to Athens, right? But he's going to leave Silas and Timothy. And he's like, okay, look, you guys take care of these guys. Disciple them. Disciple them. Because that's also a, a model that we, we want to kind of make as, as our own. Win, disciple, send. It's simple. It makes sense. Win them for the Lord. Raise them up. Teach them the word. Disciple them. That's really what that's talking about. And then send them out. Where? Countries? Sure. Communities? Yes. Yes. Your own neighborhood? Yes, please. Yes, please. Go tell your neighbors about Jesus. That's, that's the thing. That's the deal. So that's what Paul does. He's going to take off to Athens, and, and in his place, he's leaving Silas and Timothy. Why? Because they are just as capable as raising up disciples as the Apostle Paul. The Bereans, you know, they didn't get, you know, the short stick there by getting Silas and Paul. They're like, oh, but we want, or by Silas and Timothy. They're, they're like, oh, but we wanted Paul. No, 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 no. Paul's like, no, no, no. I'm not about that. You don't need me. You don't need me. I'm going to go on. These guys are going to stay. You guys keep searching the scriptures daily. Win them to the Lord. 
train them up, and then send them out. That's how we want to do things here at Calvary Galveston. We want to be a church that's about Jesus, that's about his word, winning the lost for the kingdom of God, training up within, you know, what we do on Sunday mornings, what we do on Wednesday nights, training up our women's Bible studies, training up so that we can send you guys out. Wherever you go, it doesn't matter. Whether Calvary Galveston's your home church or not, it does not matter. It doesn't matter to me. I love it. I appreciate it. What's more important is that we're going out and sharing the gospel. That's what really matters. Okay, so that's what we want. That's what we want to communicate to you guys is Calvary, this is what Calvary Galveston, our, our hope and our dream is that, that we're doing all of those things. And when you show up here, you just fall more in love with Jesus than when you were before you walked through those doors. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you for what it represents, a covering of all of our sins, Lord, going from scarlet to pure white, Lord. Uh, the justification that we have, Lord, is just as if we had never sinned before, Lord, that your blood is so powerful. And Lord, there's nothing that we've done in our past that can be covered by your blood. I pray that we would walk in, in that reality today, Lord, but that that truth would also be what, what transforms our hearts and our minds, Lord, to draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that what we may have been known for in the past, that we are, as we're growing closer to you, Lord, that those things are, are that, they're the, a thing of the past, and that we're finding true freedom in you, Jesus, and through this new covenant. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you that it is finished. And Lord, we do, as often as we can and as often as we remember, Lord, we will proclaim your death until you come back, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying in our place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That's communion, guys. That's communion. And we'll take it together sometimes. We'll take it on our own at other times. Communion is it's celebrating Jesus, the one who shows up and gives significance to everybody. Regardless of your social, economical status, regardless of whether you're a man, you're a woman, Jesus comes through and he, and he proclaims freedom for all. Freedom for all. So with that, um, I'm just going to pray and we'll just, we're going to close out the service. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you for everybody here today, Lord, and I pray... Lord Jesus, that you would help us to um, fall more in love with you each and every day. I pray that we would fall more in love with your word each and every day. And Lord, that we would have a, a, an insatiable appetite for your word. Lord, that we would just want to get into it and study it and learn about it. Not so that our knowledge increases, Lord, but so that our, our love for you increases and our love for our neighbor increases. So we thank you for the word. We thank you that it is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can pierce through all the nonsense and get to the heart of the matter. We thank you for that. So we thank you for your word today. May we be like Paul and Silas and Timothy. May we be out there, Lord, just sharing your gospel, especially to a world that needs it so desperately right now, Lord. They're looking for hope. And you are that hope. So help us, Lord, to, to get out there and to share you however we can, Lord. Give us the boldness we need. Give us the words we need. Lord, give us the confidence we need. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising from the grave. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. You are coming back. Maranatha, come back soon, Lord Jesus, is what we would pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.